All righty, folks, tonight we're going to start a new series in the Foundations of Our Faith series. And you see, we've been, over the last several months, building a rock-solid wall of uh, clear convictions based on the Bible. And so we've examined all of these matters from a biblical perspective, and tonight we'll start this one, The Church. Uh, what is it all about? And so that's our topic tonight. What is the church? And then, Lord willing, in subsequent weeks, uh, we'll talk about what the church does and how the church operates and uh, why should you come to church? I, I want to make a case for coming to church and being committed to a local church from a biblical perspective. So we'll address those issues in weeks to come. So I was studying up on this subject and grateful for the opportunity uh, to do so and found out, as some of you already know, uh, that the word for church in the original language Greek is ekklesia. Isn't that a good word? You perhaps have heard of um, uh, the word uh, ecclesiastical and all those kinds of ecclesiology, the study of the ecclesia or the church. And it's a marvelous word because it's one word made up of two words, and this is what it means. It means the called out ones, called out from the atmosphere of the influence of the world and into relationship with Almighty God and all other called out ones. So the church is something really, really special. I know sometimes when we speak of the church, we're thinking of a physical building. And so we say uh, to our children, let's get ready to go to church. And we mean a location, a physical building. And it's okay to do that. Uh, but, but really, that's not the heart of what the church means. It's not a building as much as it is a people group, a group of called out ones. And so the church is made up of people who believe in and belong to Jesus Christ. So that's what the definition of the church is. And I, I think I missed something, so I bet I'm messing up the PowerPoint operator right now. Sorry about that. Uh, let me back up. Uh, do you think you could put up the prior slide, Romans 6? There, thank you so much. Look, Romans 16, 5. Greet the church that is in their house. And the point there is to notice that the church really is not a physical building because here the greeting is to the church meeting in a building. And so the church is that group of called out people who meet in a certain physical locale. And it is made up of people who believe in and belong to Jesus Christ. So the church, by definition, consists only of believers in Jesus. Only of believers in Jesus. But though the church is made up only of believers in Jesus, his followers, those who believe in him, come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And so we see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, this, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and 
every tongue and people and nation. So there's the marvelous unity of the church. Membership in it is a function of believing in and belonging to Jesus Christ. But though there is that unity, there's this marvelous diversity of all kinds of people groups. And so the church is both local and universal. Uh, we've already alluded to the universal church. It's the one made up of all those called out and into faith in the body of Christ. It's made up of absolutely everyone worldwide who have a personal faith connection to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the universal church, I think, is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized. There we're not speaking of water baptism. We were all baptized into one body. See, whether Jews or Greeks, so that means every ethnicity. Whether slaves or free, that means every socioeconomic level. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. You see, so that's the commonality of the universal church. We were all identified with Almighty God through His Spirit, and we all have come under the influence of the very Spirit of God. It's the universal church, but that's not all. There's also the local church. You're, you're part of one this evening. And the local church is alluded to in many places. For instance, this one, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Notice, Paul, an apostle to the churches, plural, you see, of Galatia. So in Galatia, a region, a geographical region, notice, there were several, plural, churches, local churches. And so, though there's only one universal church, remember, made up of those who believe in and belong to Jesus Christ, though there's only one universal church, there are many local churches. Every single Christian, every true believer is a member already of the universal church of Jesus Christ. But this is real sad. Not every Christian, sadly, has taken up membership in a local church. And we'll talk about that in weeks to come, Lord willing. Why is that? It just seems so inconsistent to me to be, on the one hand, a member of the universal church of Jesus Christ and yet not want to identify as a committed member of one of his local churches. Anyway, that's the way it is. Not only that, in every local church, there's kind of a mingling of different kinds of people. In fact, in every local church, there well, there are wheat and tares. In every local church, there are believers, and there are also non-believers. And so, not everybody in the local church is redeemed just because they're in the local church. You see, the universal church consists of believers only. But the local church has both believers and non-believers in it. That's why, have you ever uh, 
Have you ever seen the behavior of a church member, should I say the misbehavior? And sometimes you say, boy, that person is not acting in a very Christian way. Well, I want to just suggest to you that it could be sometimes because that person is not regenerated, is not a Christian. So that's just the way it is in the local church. And in fact, because we, it's an open door, we, we want it to be open. And maybe sometimes we're a little quick on the draw as far as extending membership to people. Sometimes we're a little too quick at it. And so uh, numbers of people perhaps are in our local churches, but, but don't belong to the Lord Jesus. And I wonder if that's why in some churches there really are a lot of problems. Because people who uh, are supposed to be Christians are really not Christians and therefore don't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit to guide them in what they say and do. But anyway, that's the way it is in the local church. You have a mingling of believers and non-believers. Now, the Bible has tons to say about the church. In fact, it describes the church in so many wonderful ways. You've heard of this, the church being described as the body of Christ. And, and as, the, uh, as the bride of Christ, isn't that a good one? That's a love relationship, the bride of Christ. And there is a certain passage of Scripture in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in which we see a marvelous description of the church. And uh, let me just acquaint you with it. It's Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we'll take a look at verses 19 to 22. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and Aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of, so here's another description of the church, isn't it good? And are of God's household. And so the church is described as the household or the very dwelling place of God. And then it says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, continuing the metaphor of the house, every house is built on a foundation. In fact, uh, the strength and extent of the house is very much a function of its foundation. Here we are told that the foundation of the church, God's house, is the teaching, the authoritative teaching of the writing prophets and the apostles. The prophets are the ones who... Uh, by God's doing, under inspiration, gave us the Old Testament. And the apostles are the ones who, under the same inspiration of God, gave us the New Testament. We're looking at some of the foundational teachings of one of the apostles tonight. Paul, who gave us Ephesians, you see? And then it says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In ancient uh, construction practice, a cornerstone, or sometimes it was referred to as a guide stone, was put in place first. Today we use a cornerstone as a commemorative, sometimes even decorative architectural feature. But no, here it was a structural necessity. In ancient construction, even before the foundation was laid, the cornerstone or the guide stone was put in place. It was crucial. It determined the shape and the design and the direction of the rest of the building. So new stones or walls could only be added after the cornerstone or the guide stone was put in place. 
And then the walls and the stones, each one would follow the line and the positioning and the pattern of the cornerstone. From it, the building would grow higher. Paul, using that metaphor, tells us Jesus is that guide stone. He is the, that cornerstone of the household known as the church. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation thereof. But they come after him, and they too, you see, follow his design. And then after this, the cornerstone and the foundation, then there is added to the building additional stones. And you know who they are? Uses and everybody else who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple. Another phrase for the church, a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. King Solomon built a magnificent temple, gold and marble and precious stones. But it was only a foreshadowing of the church the spiritual temple of God made up of people called out from the world and called into union with him and with one another by faith. And in keeping with this comparison of the physical temple and the spiritual temple or dwelling place of God, another apostle, Peter, said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. So the church is made up of people who have come to Jesus as if he was a living stone. Generally, when we think of stones, we think of that which is non-living, inanimate, but this refers to Jesus as if he was living, because he is. He has life in himself. He rose up from death to win victory over that last enemy and have the ability to bequeath to all those who belong to him eternal life. He is the living stone because he's the source of eternal life for those of us who are part of his dwelling. This living stone, this Jesus, notice, has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. And so, what's your opinion? <laughs> what's your response to this living stone, Jesus? You, 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 you can't be in the middle. You, you, there is no You have either, in so many words, rejected him, or your attitude towards him is consistent with that of Almighty God. You too think he is precious in the sight of God. I'll tell you who the church is. The church is made up of people whose verdict about Jesus is like that which God his Father rendered. Members of the church said Jesus is God's 
only begotten beloved son. He's precious in the sight of the Father. He's not the co-pilot. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's not one of many. He's not equaled by any other pretender to the throne. He's the beginning and the end. He's the only begotten Son of God. And if you believe that, you've just become an adopted son or daughter of God. So the church is made up of God, uh, people whose opinions simply are consistent with that of Almighty God. I hope you yours is. I hope you don't have an opinion about God's son that's contrary to God's opinion of his own son. You know that if you ever want to get a parent or grandparent mad, mistreat their child or grandchild, I have to tell you the creator of the universe is kind of checking us out to see how we have responded to his beloved son. He's precious. In the sight of God, if you're a member of the church, he's precious in your sight too. And that's why you grieve when people use his name in vain. You grieve when people discount and reject him. And you rejoice when people like those we saw here earlier are willing to go to places like Iran and Pakistan to tell people whom God loves. Jesus is his son. He's precious in his sight. How about you? Do you have a heart for Jesus? He has a heart for you. People in the church have this heart connection, you see, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the church, if you look to that verse, is made up of people who have once come to Christ, but who continue to come to Christ. See where it says, and coming to him? That's important, continuous action, not an event. We once come to Christ and we are saved. And having once come to Christ and been saved, we, and this is a mark of salvation, we continue the coming to Christ. Why? Because we can now and we want to. We yearn to be in an intimate communion with him. We no longer want to know about God. We want to know God. We want to talk to him all the time. We want to hear from him. And so there is this one-time event. It's a coming. Maybe tonight some need to do that. Maybe tonight some need to say, Oh, God, I come to you through your son. He has been discounted hitherto by me, but I realize he's precious in your sight. Maybe you say, come to me, Lord Jesus. I'm willing to come to you. Come into my life. Connect me. Call me out from worldly things and into your temple, your household, your dwelling place uh, called the church. Now, if that took in your life, you're going to see an inclination Godward that you never saw before. This thing of, oh, I don't want to go to church, and oh, I don't want to read my Bible, and oh, I don't want to pray. That gets me nervous. I wonder if those are the statements of someone who has come to church but not to Christ. You see the difference? The church can't save you. We used to horse around when I was in Jewish missions work and say, just because you were born in a bakery doesn't make you a bagel. <laughs> just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. 
you say you have to come to the head of the church. And then one of the indications that you truly have is you have a love for others in his church. And you come to a local church. Sadly, however, in just about every local church, there are those who only come to church but have not yet come to Christ. I think we would be remiss as your staff, your ministers, not to give you a chance to check out not just your church membership and not just your baptism, but do you know of a time when you came to Christ as personal redeemer and savior? That's so important, you see. You can't come to him and it's a group. It's not a public. It's first, the first coming to Christ is deeply private and deeply personal and deeply individualistic. That's when you say, come to me, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me, forgive my sin, and adopt me into your family. I have sin. I admit it to you. I know of your commandments. I, they're good. I'm not. I have violated them. I owe you a debt I can't pay. I believe you paid it for me uh, on the cross. So, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? And would you change me from the inside out? I want to be connected to you. You're precious in the sight of God. Today you become precious in my sight as well. I surely hope you're not just a church member. That's not good enough. You have to be a member of the head of the church in order to be saved. Now Peter says more about the church in the next verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also... This is the part I really love. So, you, so we read something in the prior verse. Jesus is referred to as a living stone. See, now it says, you also are living stones. Are you kidding me? Did you read what I just... You also are... Li Look, you know what you're made of. And I know what I'm made of. And if I forget what I'm made of... Thank you, your emails remind me every week. <laughs> we aren't made of a, a whole lot of good stuff. Bible refers to as earthen vessels and kind of a, just as a vapor. And I know I'm connected to first man Adam who sinned against Almighty God, and I've inherited that. I know what I'm made of, and you're made of the same stuff. And we feel pretty rotten most of the time, I got to tell you that. But then you read this you also, as living, you know what that means? <clears throat> I not only share the name of Christ. I'm a Christian. I also share the nature of Christ. That's what it means to be a member of the church. Don't you see? This is much more than just going to church or, or, uh, or being a church member. Actually, that's, that means nothing unless you've done this first. A, a member of the universal church is someone who shares the name and nature of the head of the church. You see, because he imparts it to us. He's referred to as living stone in 1 Peter 2, 4. And now in the very next verse, we are. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. I know about the temple. You know about the temple. We studied here in our Bible study classes and all the rest. You are being built up as a spiritual house. That's not the reality, the physical temple of Solomon. All that. Oh, no, no. It's the type. It's the foreshadowing of the ultimate 
reality, which is a spiritual temple. That's us. That's people connected to the Lord by faith. It says you're being built up, look, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. This is so cool. Get this. The church is not just the temple. The church is the temple and also the priests who serve in the temple. You see it? This is so far better than the old covenant. In the old covenant, you had to select priesthood. You see, they had to go through all kinds of gyrations to get up there and serve in the temple. And now, when you come to Christ, the high priest, the head of the church, you are a believer priest. And at the same time, you're the temple. You is the temple and you serve in the temple. Oh, man. I've just decided not to feel so rotten as much. Because of two words, you also. You know when people say church is boring? I, I, is that, is this boring to you? Christ is a living, the living stone, and you also? Could you please tell me how that's boring? That's bo- is it boring to be promoted? Is it boring to share in the very nature of Almighty God? Is it boring to be called by His name? Is it boring to hang out with other people who consider Him to be precious? In the sun? How is that boring? You know, if church is boring, I really have to wonder if you're really a member of the universal church. Boring? I'll tell you what's boring. Dancing with the stars is boring. This is exciting. Holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice. Good night. You read the Old Testament. Me too. You know how people were constantly bringing uh, unblemished animals to the priests to offer in sacrifice as a token of their repentance. and Blood was shed and Um, sounds and sights and smells and horrors and all the rest and it but it's all a foreshadowing this is the physical temple is simply a foreshadowing just as that priesthood was a foreshadowing so too that whole sacrificial system has given way to spiritual realities don't you see a spiritual priesthood a spiritual temple and spiritual sacrifices the new testament tells us what they are One time it talks about a sacrifice of praise. Why is that a sacrifice? Well, because sometimes we've just had a bad day. You know, sometimes we've driven through Houston traffic and we're kind of frazzled and we're sort of hungry and, you know, and I don't know what. It's too cold, it's too hot, it's too loud, it's too soft. I don't know what the deal is. And so sometimes we're just a bunch of grumpy folk. Make a sacrifice of praise anyway. Say, oh, God, I, well, you had a rough day, this, that, and the other. But it doesn't matter. Circumstances notwithstanding, I've come to offer you a sacrifice of praise. Can I tell you something? I refuse not to sing songs of praise here. I refuse not to. I'm horrible. I have to apologize, brother, for singing next to you. I know I was throwing you off. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with me. I can't sing, and I don't know tunes, and even if I did, I can't stay on target. I don't, it's a sacrifice of praise. 
I refuse not to. Do you know some people, do you mind if I say this as gently as I could? Withhold the sacrifice of praise because it's a song they're not familiar with. But it isn't for you. It's a sacrifice of praise. Is that hard, or would you rather go back to Old Testament days where you got to bring a bull or something like that? Isn't it easier to just sing the song? And then it says, we who are the church, can you see the phrase in that verse, are being built up? Boy, that really helped me. I'll tell you why. If we're being built up, that means we're not a finished product yet. That, that means we are not perfect. That means we are still under construction. Do you know some people withdraw from their local church because it's still under construction? Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you another spiritual sacrifice? Patience with one another. Why shouldn't we be when God has called us out and in? So if his standards are not such that the ones around us are excluded, I don't think we should erect a barrier between one another. If we pray, our Father... That sort of means we'd be his sons and daughters. We're so easily offended by one another, aren't we? We give up so easily on one another. We leave, we separate, we go to another place. We, where are you going to go? Wherever you go, there you are. And you're not so hot either. <laughs> you're under construction too. Let's be patient with one another. This would be a marvelous, I think, pleasing sacrifice to our father who wants his kids united and in harmony and getting along and forgiving one another. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. We're just a bunch of forgiven ones. Nobody here is perfected yet. We're being built up. Please be patient, as someone has said. God is not finished with us yet. But I'll tell you this, folks. The world's in bad shape. Therefore, the world at its worst really needs to see the church at its best. Listen, I have to tell you, as flawed and as deficient as we are, we're the best thing going. There is no other institution on earth that can provide any hopeful answer uh, to the needs of people in the world. The church is God's idea. He hasn't given up on it. 
it shocks me that some people are giving up on it. Are your standards higher than God's? The church is still his idea. It's still his means of redeeming the lost. He still wants churches planted, established, sustained all over the world. He still wants members of the universal church to prove it and to make it visible by a committed relationship to a Christ-centered local church. He wants the church supported, prayed for, improved, made better, but not abandoned. This is a terrible day in which people are coming up with all kinds of creative alternatives to the church. Do you have a better idea than the head of the church? Every New Testament letter is written to churches. It's still the best thing going. So my fellow called out ones, don't be bored. <laughs> you also are living stones. We together are all being built up into a spiritual temple fitly providing for Almighty God's spiritual sacrifices emanating from a holy priesthood being built together for the glory of God. There is nothing more vital, more dynamic, more exciting than the church of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. And in these days of uh, stress and distress and cynicism and all the rest, uh, I would suggest now uh, more than ever, be committed to your local church. If not this one, then get to one. <laughs> and be committed to your local church. The best hope for the world are local churches consisting of living stones who, after they have gathered together for worship and parents' study, go out there to provide living proof of a loving God, the ultimate living stone who can provide life eternal and life abundant. His name is Jesus. He's precious in the sight of God. If he's precious in your sight, you're a member of the church. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in our hearts and we thank you for this instrumentality called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the household of God, the spiritual temple, the ecclesia, the called out ones, all these marvelous terms. That's your agency. We are your agency individually and collectively to carry the message of the kingdom of God on earth. Lord Jesus, we pray we here would prize and value the universal church, and in particular, this, our local church, now more than ever. It's the best hope for the world. Lord Jesus, head of the church, thank you for calling us out of the world, but not into a deep, dark hole, a vacuum. Thank you for calling us into relationship with you and with one another, and we plan on 
being more patient with one another, kinder, more gentle, more forgiving, because the world has to see that your capacity to hold us together is living proof of a loving God. This we pray in the name of Jesus, the head of the church. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Stewart.